1: Welcome to the Wheel of Time podcast, where the Lorehounds, your guides to Randland.
2: I'm David. I'm John, and this is our coverage of the Amazon Prime original series, The Wheel of Time.
1: In this podcast, we're going to re-release our 2022 interview with Dr. Michael Livingston, author of Origins of the Wheel of Time, a book that breaks down the roots of Robert Jordan's massive fantasy world.
2: Be sure to stick around to the end of the podcast for programming notes about our podcasting schedule for the rest of August and September, and of course, our coverage plans for the Wheel of Time.
1: For early and ad-free access and exclusive content to all of our podcasts, visit us at patreon.com slash the lorehounds. Also, if you're enjoying our content and want to give us a little leg up, leave us a review or, and or a rating on Apple Podcasts. Uh, ratings and reviews really help people find our podcasts, even in the i
2: you waste such. You bring, yeah, you got it. You got it. I got it. Ail. Okay, I was Ail, really yeah. nervous. I, I don't
1: want to get the hate mail of mispronouncing right. the beloved titles of Robert Jordan. I want to <laughs> watch be some completely
2: change it for the show. You're right. Watch, exactly. watch completely change it. <laughs> we love to respond to your questions, thoughts, and theories on air. So send us feedback for the next episode.
1: Send emails to W O T at the or head over to our website and either use the voicemail feature or the contact form. You can also post a message in our discord server and we can include those as well. Links to all of that in the show notes, John wheel David. of time.
0: Wheel Season of time. one
1: is done. Season two is just about to start. We are getting up for gearing up for our coverage. So maybe before we talk about this re-release of this interview, Do you want to just run through our coverage plans really fast?
2: Yeah, you know, this was the second show we agreed to cover. Right, we've been waiting for this. We have covered (laughs) like 10 shows since then. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And so we're really excited for it, I think. I am, at least. Yeah, I am too. And uh, we've got screeners for the first half of the season, which is very exciting, and will allow us to put our episodes out on Friday, the day it airs. And uh, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. So we're going to have weekly recaps, reviews, all that. Uh, patrons are going to get it a few hours earlier because I got to space it out with foundation, which is also coming out on Fridays and Uh, Ahsoka
1: is coming in. So we've got we're in a bumper crop right now. Yeah. I had to, I had
2: to do some wizardry with the schedule over there because it's, uh, it's getting to be a crazy fall, but I'm really excited to do this. We're going to do our spoiler free review. Of course, as we usually do, you know, we're not going to spoil anything from the books. We're not going to obviously spoil anything from future screeners because we would get in trouble and, um, we will also have a segment with Alicia. You may know from our other podcast and from her podcast, Bullshift we'll Dust." Uh, she's going to come on. She's going to talk to me about the books which we both read, uh, and we're going to call it the White Tower segment. That's going to be at the end of the podcast. David's going to hop off. You're going to get many warnings that the book yes. spoilers are coming. And then <laughs> so, come with
1: happen. me if you want to live. <laughs> if you don't want to be spoiled,
2: <laughs> there you go. There you go.
1: Yeah. Cool, uh, and I think what we're gonna do we're gonna do individual episodes for the first three podcasts because they're doing a three episode uh, they or, are yeah three episode drop yeah so there'll be one each for that and then at the end of the third one we'll have our first White Tower segment correct yeah with Elisa and you and Elisa already we already had it sort of a preview so this is the second podcast in the right. sequence so far so the next one coming will be one we'll have two and three and then we'll um, at the end of the season. We'll do one more about it. We'll drop it about a week after the season is over. That way we'll have time to collect your feedback uh, and your thoughts for what you thought of uh, season two overall and and how things are going. So be sure to send us emails or jump on the Discord server so that we can collect all that feedback for the end yeah. of the season. And Alicia is going to join us for that whole of that episode, too.
2: Yeah, I'm excited. We're having some great conversations already, and I'm really excited to talk about this season. So before that, though, y'all need some background. And to get that background, we brought in Professor Dr. Michael Livingston, who had a really great conversation with us. This was back in December 2022. We didn't know when season two was coming. We didn't know fully what it was going to cover. So
1: we're going to be missing
2: some information.
1: (laughs) His book (laughs) had just come out at the same time, right? Right.
2: It's a really great read, and I hope yeah. that people pick it up from this because he, he I mean, I'll let him tell you in the interview. But, uh, <laughs> you know, he he really goes into the Arthurian roots of the Wheel of Time and how it differs from Tolkien, how it's similar to Tolkien. It's it's really a great conversation. He's a big proponent of academic studies of fantasy, and that was an inspiring thing to read in his book and to talk to him about. So, yeah, I hope everyone sticks around for the conversation. And either way, hope that we see you this season on the Wheel of Time.
1: Yeah, and stick around to the end of the podcast. We'll uh, talk about some of our coverage plans, uh, the plans that are, you know, stuff that's happening with our affiliates. Properly Howard is uh, jumping into their season. Alicia's got stuff going on in June. We've got a lot of things happening. Stick around to the end of the podcast, and, and we'll talk about all those things that are going on. And as usual, do thank all of our patrons.
2: Okay, with us today is Dr. Michael Livingston of The Citadel author of Origins of the Wheel of Time. Michael, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming on. Uh, I just read your book this week. It was excellent, and I'm really excited to dig into this with you.
3: Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Appreciate it.
2: Yeah, you know, I, I'm a huge fan of the Wheel of Time. I had to convince David to, to cover the series with me. We, we generally cover TV over here, um, but, but I, I'm a big fan of the Wheel of Time books. Of course, Season 1 was a little shaky, um, compared to the books, which, you know, I, I think are, are great all the way through. So we're excited for we- season two. And in the interim, before season two starts, we're digging a little deeper into the books here. And so we wanted to hear all about your new book. It came out sub- uh, November 8th, and uh, it's available now wherever you get your books. And we'll drop a link to uh, Michael's website in the description. So, Michael, if you could tell us, what was your inspiration behind Origins?
3: Uh, So great question. This is a book that is, uh, I like to kind of say outworld focus as opposed to in world focus. So one of the great things about the wheel of time is it's, is it's depth, right? It's, it's complexity, uh, the depth of the cultures, the histories that he's built um, you know, the amazing family trees, all this stuff. It's so expansive and, uh, and kind of realized, you know, which makes sense. It's like 4.4 million words or whatever it is, you know, like it's, (laughs) It's a lot. And, right. and so it has this amazing amazing kind of in-world quality. And we've had great resources for that. The, uh, the Wheel of Time Companion, for instance, um, the uh, world of Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time, uh, called The White Book, uh, they that, that sort of detail that, that material. But one of the things that's interesting about, about Jordan is the way that he used our world to create that. And uh, you know, this is something that I've always gravitated towards. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a historian and a you know literary specialist of of the medieval world. Uh, you know, cut my teeth on Tolkien, and this is something Tolkien did. Kind of looking backwards, and has been you know kind of really, really, uh, you know, kind of shaped Tolkien studies. Is this idea of how he's using the past, and I've I've written on that, and gone to the Tolkien archives and all that. And, you know, Jordan's doing the same kind of thing. And nobody was was, was talking about it. And I, in uh, you know, a sort of gathered up kind of academic, like, you know, let's like really show this to people. There, there are websites, there's some amazing websites that have talked about this. And I've done lectures over the years, but uh, never had kind of been pulled all together into one sort of you know, public facing, here's what he was doing. So uh, so I, I, I was kind of, you know, picked to do this. And, uh, it was, it was amazing, amazing thing to do.
2: Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned you were picked to do this. I know the team Jordan was very involved. They, they hand selected you to dig into this work. Uh, how was it wor- working with Harriet McDougall?
3: I, you know, an absolute honor. I mean, you know, Harriet is one of the greatest Sorry, scientists. Who is Harriet? Harriet is the widow of Robert Jordan. who oh, okay. was actually first his editor. <laughs> Right. and one of the greatest science fiction and fantasy editors kind of of all time. I mean this is she edited Ender's Game like among a, a plethora of amazing works and uh so yeah getting to work with her was amazing.
1: So was she an editor in her own right before she married Jordan? Yes. Yes. Got it.
3: Okay. She nice. was she was his editor and then And then they got married. And then they got married.
1: Wow, that's pretty awesome. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So <laughs> she's She's the, uh, the kind of founding editor of Tor Books, and, and that's how they sort of got to know each other. Uh, and I go cool. I go through the entire kind of uh, – I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful love story uh, of the two of them, and I, I go through that in my biography of, uh, of Jordan that, that kind of starts the book. Uh, because it, it is so integral then to the creation of the Wheel of Time is kind of Harriet's sort of force behind this. And I wanted to highlight that for people. And so, yeah, the, the opportunity to work with, uh, you know, work with her, to get edits from her, uh, you know, that was, that was crazy, right? You know, to get, like, her hand edits on pages. I'm like, my God, she edited Ender's Game, like, and she's editing my stuff? <laughs> like, what is going on? And, and you get all fanboy? Yeah, I was totally fanboy. Uh, I, I fanboyed constantly in the making of this. I mean to be given full access to all the notes, all like everything that he had touched and everyone, right? You know, do you want to talk to, to Tom Doherty of Tor Books? Yeah, here you go. You know, do you want to talk to Brandon Sanderson? Here you go. You want to talk to like, it was just, and, you know, <laughs> here's the call list. Who do you want to talk to? What do you want to see? Uh, and then to have the, the kind of the track of, of 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 Harriet and Team Jordan, his assistants, all to be able to say, you know, yeah, we think this is correct. Like, you know, yeah, this this is right to help me feel like, you know, uh, I'm not I'm not in kind of off on my own here, right? I've got all this authorization essentially behind me.
2: Uh, yeah, it, it's crazy. It's fascinating because it seems like they sort of handed you the Christopher Tolkien keys, <laughs> whereas Christopher was. You know, given full access to his father's work after his passing and, and was able to do whatever he wanted with it, it seems like you've sort of gotten to take up that mantle a little bit with Jordan.
3: Yeah. And, and that was very much kind of like the model. Again, I, you know, as an academic, I mean, I've published a lot on Tolkien and have some choice thoughts for Christopher, but um, <laughs> the
1: 911. Uh,
2: <laughs> you can give us your hot takes here i mean uh, yeah, we're, 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 our mics are open yeah
3: he uh anyway um don't don't speak don't speak ill of the of the past um yeah it was it was kind of like that
1: i would say that there's a there's valid there's a, there's a place for valid critique and criticism as opposed to throwing fire and feces just for the sake of throwing fire and feces.
4: So, yeah. And
3: I, I would never want know. to do that. I mean, I was, you know, I've having worked in the Tolkien archives and had to try to negotiate things and ah, stuff. There's like yes. a, you know, yeah. You, Sensitivity. You, you went left, you should have gone right. And you went left for what I consider an invalid reasons, but, um, Interesting. but yeah, okay. it, it's, uh, uh, it, it, it was that kind of full access and, and the book I've got, thousands of words, unpublished words of Jordan that, uh, you know, I mean, they're what a key difference that is, you know, with working in the Tolkien archives, you know, I, I have to sign all kinds of NDAs about what I've seen there. Um, and then to try and, and, and presenting that stuff for an academic audience, for a public audience, right, you know, like, here's this piece of information that'd be really useful. Am I allowed to do that? Right, and then it goes to what well, used to go to Christopher, um, you know, and they're like, "Nope, can't ever tell Saul." Like, no, you don't get to tell anybody. Uh, okay, right, as opposed to here, you know, and you're like, "This is a sentence." Like, I want to quote a sentence out of out of a letter. Like, are you kidding? Why? Why are you withholding this? It makes no sense. Like, <laughs> right. people want to know who that character really is, and there's the smoking gun. And and, and in this case, it was the complete opposite where I would say, you know, can I, can I quote this? Like in one case, I, I give like, I don't know how many words in a row it is. Right. But, a uh, like a first draft of one of his, have one of the chapters of the first book, a huge chunk of it. And when I asked permission for that, I thought, oh, there's no way they're going to let me give this whole chunk. Right. But I'll ask for the big chunk on the assumption that they'll be like, all right, we'll compromise here. (laughs) Instead, they're like, yeah, go ahead and do the whole chunk. Oh, okay. Uh, this is phenomenal. Uh, so, the, the the level of access and the freedom to, uh, I guess, to kind of say what I felt needed to be said, without um, without there being somebody kind of watching over and saying, "Well, we don't want you to say that because we feel like that's going to make you know the estate look bad or, or whatever." I mean, not that I don't think there was anything like that, but but it just never came. And, and, and that was such a, a wonderful experience as a researcher and a writer to feel like I was completely unfettered, uh, that all I was getting was support. And, and if it was, if there was a correction or whatever, it was because it was a correction, right? As opposed to a no, no, like we're not, we're not going to allow that. You know, it was like, no, no, I, here's this other piece of information, you know, which is exactly what you would want in a case like this. So yeah, it was, it was amazing.
2: That's really great to hear. I mean, you can tell when you read it how open Harriet and the rest of Team Jordan were with the works, and how useful they were as a yes. as a boon rather than a blockade. and And that's really great to see. You know, when I was when I opened your book, I expected to find a lot of details, a lot of trivia um, that would be helpful to my reading of the Wheel of Time, to my coverage of the Wheel of Time. Uh, what I didn't expect to find was possibly the best defense of fantasy as an academic study that I've ever read. Uh, so so you, you gave this really uh, excellent defense of, of this as a field of speculative fiction, if you will, and of, of fantasy and magic as something that deserves to have its own attention by serious critics. Can you talk more about that? Happy to.
3: Uh, happy to. So when I was in graduate school, you you know, fantasy was like, that's, that's not serious. Right. You know, like that's not liter, that's not literature. Right. right? Quote unquote, capital L. And, and that always really ticked me off. And like, while I was in graduate school, Tolkien studies started kind of like coalescing and being valid for at least kind of like part of the world. Right. I mean, there's, there were still people that were like, no, 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 you know, nose in the air kind of thing. But but Tolkien studies was kind of happening. And and a large part of that due to like Tom Shippey, uh, you know, his amazing work, for, you know, Road to Middle Earth and author of the century. Uh, Tom's Tom's incredible. You know, and, and, and sort of that paving of, of the way was was amazing and great for Tolkien. But even so, uh, you know, I remember at the University of Rochester. I wanted to teach a a a class for the undergraduates on Tolkien, and there was real resistance. You know, like, well, that's not real literature, right? I was actually that's not real literature, and nobody would take it anyway. And it's like they would, Uh, and also it's real; it's real literature, right? And and finally, uh, finally got to teach that class, uh, and it crashed the crashed the servers. People trying to trying to roll up for it, That's and they awesome. hadn't put a cap on the class, so <laughs> they had thought, well, maybe he'll the class will make with ten, you know, whatever. And it ended up being a hundred students, like in an auditorium, like it was just bonkers. <laughs> which I was like, I told you, right? And you know, and then when I came to the Citadel, which was Jordan's alma mater,
1: is that the Citadel, the military academy in the Carolinas? Yes,
3: the Military College of South Carolina. Right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah, and there was kind of a you know like you know it is is the wheel of time it was just like Tolkien had been you know like 20 years earlier kind of thing the same thing and it really bothered me and then when when Jordan was going to be inducted into the South Carolina Academy of Authors and he had, he had just died uh fortunately he knew that he had had been awarded this uh before his death um uh, but but the induction had not taken place and the induction took place on my campus, and and I was asked, they said, well can can you talk, because you know his work, near professor, you know, New York professor here, That'll all look really good. Would you be willing to do that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, of course. I mean, you're kidding. I, I, you know, I'll talk about him to anybody anywhere, sure." and uh, And then somebody told me, and I don't know if this is true, but somebody said... You know there are some people that aren't really sure. You know, the South Carolina Academy of Authors is you know sort of has a literary uh, acknowledgement to it, right? And and you know, does this really count because it's fantasy? And I don't know if that's true, but I was told that there had been this like, well, well, he did sell you know at that point forty million books or whatever. Nah, you know, I guess we. Can. <laughs> so I I took that speech as an opportunity to to, to have a def- yeah, to make a defense, you know, like this is a hundred percent literature, right? If you, if you're saying fantasy isn't literature, like you just threw out Homer, you just threw out Beowulf, you just threw it. Like, do you want to know what you just burned down? You idiots. You know, like, and again, I, I really don't know if there were people in that place who felt that way, but, but that's,
1: do you think that that's uh, something that's related between antiquity and modernism? Well, it's modern, therefore it and it hasn't stood the test of time, whereas Homer is uh, antiquity, and therefore,
3: I you know I think there's I think there's this bizarre separation mm-hmm. that happens where where yeah you're allowed to, it's allowed to be fantastic, if it's back then right, but not now. But it can be fantastic now if you don't call it like call it magic realism, and now it's okay,
4: right? <laughs> right?
3: You're know, like what? Like I'm like what now? I'm sorry. That's still a fantasy like that's a, you've labeled it different right. <laughs> i don't know what's going on um did you actually did you actually read borges or not because it's fantasy. <laughs> um so so yeah i mean there is something to that you know that like oh it's okay to talk about monsters if it's ancient or medieval uh we don't do that anymore except we do do that still but in this category and so now it counts and then I thought, you know and and i just have no patience for that
1: right? can i chase for a second this idea too of okay, you know fantasy as literature cool science fiction as literature dot 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 question mark and then what's the difference between science fiction and fantasy are we doing the same things or where what's the or the the pivot point between science fiction and fantasy
3: i don't see one okay yeah i mean i i, I really don't see one um uh, all these things are, are ideas of spectrum, Uh-huh. right? I mean, you know, the heart of darkness did not happen. Like on a pretty basic level, it's a fantasy, right? he made that You're up. You're talking about right? Conrad. Made up, yeah, right, Conrad. Yeah, Joseph Conrad, right? You know, I mean, it, it, he made that up. Like, that's not real. Right. Uh, Lord of the Flies, not real. Like, made the whole thing up. Like, so just, it, it's like a spectrum of how much are you making up, right? How much are you making up? Well, now I'm making up the landscape, right? Now I'm making up, the technology now. I'm making up. All right. Well, we're just we're just moving that line. It's not really substantially a different thing. Now, there's there's not to not to say the categories are not like utilitarian in a functional way, right? It is useful if you really like this kind of thing to have a category for for that flavor of it, right? Classical you know, versus like
1: jazz. It. Like you you hear it, you know right. that there's a difference there,
3: right? And if you're interested in jazz, like like go there, right. right? And you're like, well, I really like jazz fusion. All right, well, okay, that's this category. Right. Like, And if you like that, you're probably going to like this. That's, that's utilitarian, right? But it's all music. So, you know, yeah, that, one, that one's got a little bit more of this. This one's got a little bit more of that. All right. And so this, like, gatekeeping of, you know, well, if you're making up this bit, then it doesn't count. I, I'm, I'm just like, you have no leg to stand on. There's no, right. there's no logic to this. This is just you, like, like, leveraging your own biases to try and, like, make the world you. And I, and I just, I have depictions no for that. Right. So, so, yeah, I, I gave that speech in, inducting, I, I mean, not, in, like, as part of the induction ceremony. Um, and, uh, and it was, it was well-received. Hardest um, speech I've ever given in my life. I've said this numerous times. Wow. Um, yeah, you know, because he had just died. Harriet was front row, right in front of the podium, and uh, you know I've given speeches, to, I mean, to hundreds of people all the time, like I'm like whatever. But man, I was like, I can't look at her because I'll break, right? Because I because you could just see the, all the emotion she was like holding in and stuff, and it was just like, I can't, I can't look at her. I won't be able to keep cool. And so and I, of course, apologized to her numerous times since. Like, I'm so sorry. i giving that speech. I could not look at you. I was talking to you, but I couldn't look at you because, like, it was this huge group of people, and I couldn't. I couldn't do that. Um, she was like, "It's okay." I was crying <laughs> Uh Fair enough. So, uh, so yeah, I basically took like that speech and the idea of it, and yeah, I incorporated into the into the text of this to. To, you know, to kind of, again, like, you know, make this, make this okay, you know, just to say, this is, this is an okay thing. Like, you can love this. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm like, on the one hand, I'm like, why do you, why the hell do you need me to tell you it's okay, right? You shouldn't. <laughs> but, but I also know, from, from experience, that it does matter to people, right? There is a kind of, you know, this professor said, that it's okay, and 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 there's a relief to that, and you know, you know, it's, I would say like you, like you don't need me to tell you something's okay, but but if it if it helps, like, awesome, it's okay, you know, like it's right. good stuff, and be be happy with it, love it, study it, like you know, treat it as Homer, like go for it. Uh, there's no reason not to do that, right? And so yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you you thought it, that defense was was good. Um, it certainly came from the heart, from my side.
2: No, you could tell. You could tell reading the book. I was reading the section on, and, and actually, let's take a, a step back quickly and talk about the structure of your book, because this was something okay. that I was not sure what it was going to be going in. And what I found was it was sort of half this prose-based uh, background story, a breakdown of, of Jordan's uh, writing technique. It even has a full chapter on Tolkien and Jordan, which was really excellent, and and something that comes up a lot because of the similarities between The Eye of the World and The Lord of the Rings.
1: I have it in my notes right here.
2: (laughs) Question mark.
1: Tolkien, Jordan. Question mark. Question mark.
2: Right. But but as you point out, Jordan sort of takes what Tolkien did and went a step farther. And what I want to know is, how did you go about deconstructing Jordan's writing process, to the point where you get to these Arthurian legends that you mentioned, and to the point where you can sort of compare contrast with Tolkien in such detail?
3: I, By careful step. Th- you know, this was the thing that, one of the things that drew me to Jordan in the first place. You know, when I was 15 years old and picked up By the Wolf the first time, uh, and even in the, the prologue, you get these the, the one I always mention to people, because I, I think it's fairly recognizable, uh, you know, as a reference to the gates of Peron Sen, And I'm like, at the age of 15, I was like, "That's the gates of paradise? Isn't it like, <laughs> I, I feel like he's up to something. And, and that kind of drew me in because I'm, I'm somebody who likes, you know, puzzles. And, and, um, here's one of the things I love in my you know, being a, a medieval military historian, right? The, you know, what happened at the Battle of Agincourt? I mean, that's a puzzle, right? You know, I've got clues, pieces, and then I try and coalesce them into a complete picture. And so that, the, the idea that that was something that was happening within these books captivated me. And for years, I've been, like, like sort of doing this in my, in my spare time, as it were. And then giving lectures about kind of what I was seeing. Uh, at Jordan Con, the uh, uh, convention dedicated to Jordan. At Dragon Con, you know, like you know, getting in front of people and you know, here's what I think he's up to. And obviously, seeing you know what Shippey and others you know had done with Tolkien, and you know the kind of writing that I was doing with Tolkien, uh, talking about his influences and how he was building things. So, like, I had a lot of that kind of apparatus already in mind, and a lot of those pieces of the puzzle and and he had given a lot of interviews as well where he would say you know somebody would write and say you know well I, this looks kind of arthurian and he'd be like yeah uh <laughs> sure is like <laughs> right. well done and so I, I already had all that in mind and that was part of the like this is what the book is going to be but then being given full access to the notes you know there were notes that were like uh and I, of course i'll talk about many of them in the book you know, like this character equals that character, but this character equals that character. Like, yeah, well, it's pretty good. A smoking gun. Uh, I like that. So, so you could you could see in his process how he would do this, and then that allowed me in the uh, in the the second half of the book, first half of the book, as you said, you, I've got a biography of Jordan, uh, a kind of comparison between him and Tolkien, and uh, that comparison, like one is better than the other, but just like a, right. I'm kind of setting them together. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, this is Tolkien's methods. Here's how Jordan kind of built on that, on that model. Uh, and then I've got a chapter of, of his Jordan's writing process, going through the notes, going through like, this was the first seed, right. Then he layers in this, then he layers in this, here's all the drafts and, and things to, to walk people through that. And then the second half of the book is a glossary of, people places items events that sort of say like this is where he got it the way the wheel of time works it's it's rarely just one thing right Right. um you know randall thor is is, doesn't equal king arthur Like, like that's a piece of that puzzle right and and so yeah i had all that stuff and to have the notes kind of confirming a lot of that and then and then from that kind of like reverse engineer like this is his process. This is how he did it, and I know he did it here, 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 or here. What happens if I put that in place here? Oh, I get this. Well, that's yeah. That's that's what he did, right? Um, it's really. This part of the reason I like the Tolkien comp, or you know, you can find the language behind languages, right? By, by linguistic methodologies. Some of the Tolkien was fascinated with in philology, and. And you can do the same thing with stories, and that's, of course, what Lord of the Rings is, you know, the story behind stories, you know, Jordan's doing the same thing. And so it, it, uh, once you see his method in place, it's pretty easy to start spotting it everywhere. And by no means is this book the totality of this. It is like the tip of the iceberg (laughs) of of this happening, because he does it all over the place.
1: All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back.
2: you mentioned philology. You've described philology in the book in a way that I had not thought of it before, because everyone associates it with language because of who Tolkien was about the courses he taught, uh, the writings he did outside the Lord of the Rings. And you've sort of expanded it to this love of learning, this, this broader thing where it, it includes things like histories and cultures and, and myth. Um, and then you apply that in a way that makes this glossary make a lot more sense. Because if I think, I think if I started with the glossary, it would be useful in giving me trivia, but it would not fully be. It would not allow me to fully trace Jordan's mind the way that you have throughout the book. But the way that you've laid out the glossary after this really helps to uh, to lead the reader down the path of Jordan's reverse engineering, as you put it.
3: Yeah. And of course that was very deliberate.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: You, you know, I,
3: I know that many people are going to come to the book and are going to go straight to the glossary for a particular thing. Right? right. I mean, I know many, many people are like, I'm first thing I'm doing is finding out who <laughs> Nikomi is. I'm going to that entry. Right. And that's, and that's fine. Like that's live and let live, you know, <laughs> you, you ain't hurting anybody, baby. Go for it.
4: Right. Uh,
3: that said, I, I mean, I wrote it to be read like beginning to end. Because I, I do think it's important to, you know, to establish who he is and how he worked and to establish this, this mindset of, of, yes, stories, applying linguistic principles to story, which is something Tolkien did, right? I mean, philology means love of learning. That's literally what the word, word means. And, yeah, it got sort of transposed, uh, you know, into, into linguistics, you know, because that's where it starts with, you know, Sanskrit and the commonalities with, with Greek and Latin.
4: Uh-huh.
3: Um, you know, back in the day, but certain, certainly Tolkien is trying to uh, to view this in story terms, and and Jordan is just like, yeah, man, <laughs> going to go down that rabbit hole, and and then adds into it, uh, you know, other other writers like uh, Robert Graves, White Goddess, uh, and what he's doing, which is again kind of similar. So, ideally, from my point of view, a, a reading of the book in which you you get through those those first chapters, hopefully it's not like through like it was a homer to do but like <laughs> you do those before you get into the glossary. Yeah the glossary will make more sense because now you can see this is how he did it and I'm just giving you like the final like result of that for for each entry, right? I don't right. trace the entire process in that entry. The book will be too bloody big. But you know to say like like these connect and you know why because you know what the process is, right? Um, so, so yeah, that, it certainly is kind of meant to read that way. But I mean, if anybody's listening and wants to do it elsewhere,
4: it's fine.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I definitely agree with you. It, it makes more sense going front to back. Uh, so, yeah. and, and it's, it's it very interesting because it does feel like sort of two volumes of a book there uh, where, where uh, another author might have split this into two books, but it, they pair so well together that I'm glad that you put this together here.
1: So yeah. my question, and, and as our, our listeners know, I'm I'm an unin, uninitiated in the world of Jordan other than seeing season one on Amazon. It sounds like I could read the first part of the book to understand who Jordan was as an author and, and sort of these wider contexts. And then I could use the second half, the the glossary part as I'm watching so that I can deconstruct certain elements uh, and I'm asking as a specific use case, as a, somebody who has not seen anything but season one.
3: Yeah. I mean, I, it's always a little bit hard for me to tell. Cause like, I know it all. Right. But yeah, I don't want to like know it all. Like I'm like, I have a know it all, but you, right, mean, right, I, yeah. I brought, you, you
1: wrote the book. <laughs> right. Yes, exactly. Yeah.
3: But, uh, I, you know, I think, I think the first, part, I mean, one of the first things I say is let's say, look, this is full spoilers. <laughs> like, Because you can't, you can't really do this without talking about the entirety of the scope of things, right? So, yeah, like you know, just for as an example, and I'm not, I'm not going to spoil it here, whatever. But you know, even even if you're just watching the first show, uh, first season of the show, you know that there's a thing called the last battle that people are worried about. Like, I I talk about in the entries of the glossary. Yeah, I talk about the last battle and how that was constructed and the historical stuff that's used. So in that sense, there's spoilers, obviously. Okay. Um, but the, the prose chapters, the first half of the book, there are spoilers in there in like certain elements of talking about like the drafts, right? You know, he, he originally planned for the series to kind of come together this way. That's not what happened, but that's kind of what he originally planned. I did try to, to keep that from being too, uh, yeah, too spoilerific. So I do think you could, you could basically do that, right? You could read the, the first few chapters and get a really good sense of, of what the Wheel of Time is about, um, what it is that Jordan was trying to do, how he was doing it, that could then inform what you're seeing on the screen. I mean, that's, you know, not to say that the, the, the Rafe Jenkins and everybody else who was involved in that knew this stuff. I've got no idea. They never talked to me, so I don't, I don't know.
2: <laughs> well, they should.
3: Um, <laughs> as far as I know, they they never they've never
1: accessed the notes or any of that stuff. Boop, so, boop, 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 boop. hey, uh, Jeff, yeah, get over. <laughs> uh, have those guys talk to Michael.
3: Yeah, um, but 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 it's still like they're informed by the books, and the books are informed by all this. I mean, I still think kind of like the pieces are there, and it and it would, and it would be useful, I think, to ho- hopefully I've done my work in uh, in explaining to people even if they kind of didn't come in with a love of the wheel of time, why people find this amazing and what it is that that Jordan was trying to do that has captivated people.
1: So would you say that then when the discussions about the you know production for this book, was that the brief that you were brought or, or I don't know how the conversation is exactly flowed, but like, what's the purpose of this book or what was the brief? What was the, the the need in the marketplace for this book to be called for. Yeah,
3: you know, I think the big one was that nobody had kind of really laid out this this kind of additional track. So I, I, you know, I almost think about it as like the wheel of time is is a series. It's not alone in this, but it's to the depth that it is is pretty unique where you have kind of like one surface story. And that surface story is fine. It's complete. It's totally great. But then you can like separate out another track, like another read of it, another understanding of it that is also complete. And those, and those two tracks are, are working simultaneously. Like it's, like, it's like left and right channel. You know, they, they come together into this amazing stereo. But you, can, but they, they, they can be sort of tracked out, and for the most part, it, like everybody's listening to one track. And it's a great track, like like it's an amazing track. There's a reason this is sold. Yeah, I mean, if forty million copies or whatever the hell it's up to now, like there's a reason. Uh, but hey, as much as you love this, I'm not saying you've been loving it wrong. I'm not saying that what
1: you're doing, but you know, check it out underneath here. There's another track going on. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Check this out. Isn't that
1: cool? It's like something, it's not like it's, it's missing. I I think this is a very bizarre analogy, but like airplane wings have been working for a very, very long time. Right. And then suddenly you started seeing those little wing tips on the airplanes, on the big jumbo jets. And I was like, Oh, this improves the wing. The wing is fine. But yo, <laughs> this like adds this whole other thing of efficiency and safety and da 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 da.
3: Yeah. So it it's was like either way. It's exactly, either way. But exactly. this is isn't this nice that this we have is, this? This is culture? really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah, same kind of thing, right? You know. Cool. Again, and I, I'm not saying. I mean, you can ignore this crap. It's. I mean, I, I'd, I'd love it if you didn't because I'd like for you to buy my book. But <laughs> <laughs> in an like other like, there's no right or wrong way to fan like you can love the wheel of time, completely ignore this. Great. Like, fine. But, uh, but I felt like, you know, when I was giving talks about Jordan and, and talking about this kind of a little bit, there was always this like, Oh my God, you're kidding. Like what? And I was like, yeah, it's, you know, of course, initially I kind of felt like, like, isn't this how we all are reading? No, <laughs> like, Oh, Oh, wow. <laughs> like, let me share this. Let me share this. And so, yeah, it, it was uh, it was definitely what I wanted to get across in the book was this like a, a love of this thing. Some people have called it like a love letter to the fans and in some like like it is in you know in my heart. I'm like writing this for y'all. But but yeah, I'm trying to sort of hopefully help people understand how how awesome the wheel of time is. <laughs> Not to put too fine a point on it, but you know, like this is amazing stuff. I I hope y'all
4: can see that.
2: Well, you know, if you find yourself listening to a podcast called the Lorehounds podcast, you probably do want that second layer. So I hope that you will <laughs> exactly. check out Michael's book here because this yeah. is probably your target audience.
3: <laughs> I, I, yeah, well, hopefully. Uh, and, and it is, I, you know, the people that kind of like love Tolkien and love it for this kind of this depth and these connective tissues that he makes on, which certainly is me. Um, you know, there's a reason that I've, I've written those articles, you know, about Tolkien and things. Uh, Is because I'm fascinated by that, um, and uh, and yeah, this was sort of like like Jordan was doing that too, right? And 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 in a, a way that was respectful, I think, of Tolkien, he's using Tolkien, uh, isn't trying to hide that, right? You know, I mean, there are some authors, I'll throw anybody on the bus, but like copied Tolkien and then like denied it, right? Right? <laughs> no, no,
4: no, 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 I didn't, <clears throat> Martin. <laughs> uh,
3: you know, I mean, there of course there's people that have copied. Jordan and then have denied it. Uh, You know, no, 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 I didn't copy that. Uh, Sure, you didn't. But uh, yeah, here where it's he's well aware, and you know, the first part of the eye of the world is is straight up Tolkien, right? Right. And intentionally, it's like so intentionally. He's like, I'm going to do that, and then I'm going to turn you.
1: When uh, when John convinced me to um, check out Wheel of Time on Amazon, uh, I watched that first episode and I was just like, Oh my God, this is so Tolkien, right? Like it was just screaming at me, but I had no context that that's what he was doing. That there was some of that imbued of that spirit imbued into the book, you know, overtly into the books, but then, you know, distilled into the first episode, you can't, you know, you, you couldn't probably avoid that. So, and then once I got that, then I was like, okay, settle down it's okay. Like, you know, this guy's doing something, hang with it and see what, see what it brings you. Yeah.
3: And, it, and it's, and it's a difficult thing he tried to do, you know, where he thought, let me give you something that's comfortable, something you're used to, you know, we, we know kind of Tolkien, you know, works. We know we all love it. You know, he loved it. Um, let me give you that, that comfort and familiarity And now let me start like taking you, (laughs) taking you to left field. You know, like, like, it's okay. It's going to be okay.
1: Which is what John kept selling me on, on this series is, is like, no, wait, just see where he goes with this because you are not going to know where you end up from where you started necessarily. Right.
4: Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah.
3: I, I, you know, I talk about this in the book too. So hopefully,
2: hopefully that comes across. Yeah. I mean, when you're reading the wheel of time, you can be in book 13, you can be in book halfway through book 14 and you don't know how it's going to end so it's it's he keeps you on your toes the whole time uh one thing I'll say is kind of funny is you know Tolkien is known as uh, at least his original intent was to create this mythology of England and yet Jordan is the one pulling so much with, from Arthurian legend and and Tolkien was over with like kalervo and and Beowulf which uh it's it's just so funny how how Jordan was sort of more on the English side although you point out he's got all this stuff from Eastern religions. You've get, he's, he's got things from all across the world, which is, I think, something that um, Tolkien was limited by his very strict adherence to Catholicism in the myths that he pulled from. I think he was comfortable pulling from a lot of myths, but maybe not all, especially those that are tied to religion, uh, modern religion, at least. And it's really fascinating to see something like Jordan, where you have the cyclical nature of time. You have this thing that is far removed from the, from the true creation to Armageddon arc that, that Tolkien was painting. And for you to explore that was really great. Uh, thank you.
3: It, it, is, it is part of the fun of it. You know, that at any, any given point, you know, this, this could be, you know, taking some of the battles, for instance. Right? It's his source battle for this Something in Vietnam, where he was, right? Is it Alexander the Great? Is it Napoleon? Is it like because he did all of them? I mean, he did all those things, and 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 so at any given moment, you you really have to be on your toes. Uh, and it was kind of was great fun for somebody like me, you know that that, that my puzzle is not confined as as I said with you know Tolkien, you have a fairly limited. Range of materials that you, that that he's grabbing from, right. not not say so, it's not an impressive range because it's extraordinary, right? Uh, but it is this is just that, and then so much like so much, it's everything, um, anything, and everything could be in there, and and that, and that's daunting uh, because it is very, uh, yeah, like like you know what, where have I not looked? And, and you're like, there's always somewhere else you can look. He, he's his library. The last time they did a count of his library, uh, and, it, and this was several years before. So he bought lots of books. It was 15,000 volumes. Wow. Uh, like he had a lot of stuff. He had a lot of stuff and, and he was going through it. So, um, so yeah, there's, there's a lot that he used and
2: that's fun. It's cool. And speaking of stuff, you talk about the physical objects that he had that he was sort of looking at yeah. while he was writing. Uh, can you can you just give a brief talk about that? And of course, people should get the book if they want to hear the whole story.
4: <laughs> um,
3: yeah, I, he would use he would apply this same kind of idea of objects or, or of, of kind of stories behind stories or whatever. He would apply that to material culture as well. So the the example I give for Instance of the sword, right? The the idea there is that you take this sort of you know major sword type of of east and west, using those in scare quotes because there is no east and west, we're on a globe. Uh, but uh, you know, people can typically think of it. so you got like a katana on one side, uh, and like a hand and half sword. Uh, I use, I use an example of the, the sword of the black prince, uh, mainly because it's a fairly Famous sword, and I happen to have a replica of it. So made taking pictures is easy. Uh, to you know, to take those two and, and he essentially like melds them into a single sword to essentially kind of create a sword that these swords could have come from, right? Or alternatively lead to, right? Because you know, right. being a wheel forecast. Uh, that 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 usage of material culture. Is different. Like, like Tolkien never really did anything like that, and and Jordan's doing that, and, and even doing that with landscapes. The the world itself has that connective tissue, you know. Which again, I think is something a lot of people don't really necessarily think about, right? You know, this really is our world. So how is you know, like how does that how does that actually connect? We have the same thing in Tolkien. Right? Middle Earth is our Uh and so you know, what do you, what do you do with that? How do you how do you map it? He's going to the to the classics there. Why is he going to the classics? He's going to this one, this one, this one. This is why it's tracking out. This is why that maps on the geography. Like that's like that's cool. Jordan was doing the same stuff. Yep. And and again, I I don't think a lot of people are kind of like listening to that subtrack, or however you want, again, however, you want to, however you want to say that. So uh, so yeah, he was doing this same process essentially with anything and everything. He was he just really wanted to get this sense of depth by connecting to our world and it and it's and it's fun right it's cool to have a character looking in a museum and seeing you know the 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 symbol of a of a luxury car a hood ornament and being like man that's gaudy like <laughs> What the, hell, what the hell is that piece of metal about it? Man, I can I can sense the kind of superiority on that, you know, just from across the room, and I don't even know what it is, right? And we're reading it and being like, oh, yeah, man, I hate people who drive that car, too, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and, of course, it's also interesting then to find a, you know, Jordan's neighbor drove that car. So. Oh, wow. Um, wow. Uh, <laughs> shots <laughs> fired. Cool. <laughs> um, Yeah, which is which is another kind of thing I tried to give people a flavor of. that He put things in uh, like Easter eggs and also just, you know, you could almost just kind of see the amusement, right? Of, of, hey, here's this. I wonder who's going to catch it. You know, <laughs> like, I wonder who's going to see it. So, right. yeah, fun stuff.
2: And you point out that sort of makes it skirt the line between science fiction and fantasy when he starts putting Easter eggs in. Uh, yeah, so I mean,
3: it, it's in the end, it's, it, it, it's in neither category because it's in both categories.
2: Right? Right. It, you know, what
3: category do you want it to be in? Obviously, it's marketed as fantasy. Right. Uh, you know, people are like, "Oh, there's there's magic. It must be fantasy." Like, okay. Um, Star Wars, <laughs> right, you have Star Yeah. Star Wars, like, yeah. Yeah. Like, what are you going to do? So, I mean, those are those are essentially marketing decisions, and, and marketing decisions have nothing to do with with the work, really.
2: Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. A
1: couple of segue questions here, and in, in back into into TV realm. I'm curious if, if you have any thoughts on season one, and then I really want to ask if you've been watching Andor, but <laughs> you don't have to answer that second one. <laughs> I've been watching Andor,
3: um, and, and it's really good. Um, yeah, it's really good, which is, a, I'll say a relief given, given some of what, what has transpired with that property. Right. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I watched season one of Wheel of Time there were a lot of things i absolutely loved about it i i love i love that it's bringing people to to the books to this world i think it's great for people to be aware of this property, and and hopefully be be moved to to read the books because i think the books are amazing right but even if not like even if you're just like i'm just a, i'm just a tv fan of the thing oh, great again like fan like do your fandom how you undo it like Rock and roll. So I think it's wonderful in that regard. The casting is marvelous. Um, I'm really, really pleased with the casting. I think they did a fantastic job. And, I, and, and, like, top to bottom, like, even things where I was like, that's the only reason it doesn't match my headcanon since I was 15. Like, who gives a dean? Like, I'm, <laughs> whatever. Uh, did they do a good job? Yeah, they did a good job. Great. Yeah, you know, that's awesome. Uh, and, and, uh, rosamund pike as moraine I like, think she kills it i think she's so good and and i would and i'd be saying that even if on the audiobook of Origins she didn't like say nice things about me
2: right. so right yeah she does an interview at the end of your audiobook right yeah yeah she does
3: an interview at the end of the audiobook and and says my name and uh <laughs> like it's legit it's legit to have rosamund pike say your name i'll, I'll just say that
4: it's, <laughs>
3: <laughs> it's good. It's good. It's good. It's nice. uh Let's just listen to that on loop. Um. So yeah, I, the casting is great. I you know I wish I wish that the money that was behind Rings of Power was behind Wheel of Time. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. right. I I think one of those properties is a lot stronger in terms of the writing and uh, and much else. Uh, but the. Uh, you know, I think it, I think it would have been a, a, good, a good idea, but uh, Jeff Bezos did not ask me.
1: Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think it was really good. One of the things that we did on our um, pre, well, during, during our Rings of Power coverage and a little bit before, too, was, you know, we talked about uh, Tom Shippey and something, you know, we're sort of roughly calling the Shippey test, which is the whole, you know, does the medium change the message, that whole dialogue between... Are the changes that showrunners and directors have to do, do they keep you in the storyline? And were because of the medium, did you have to make certain uh, concessions and changes? And, you know, does that keep you within the core of the message or take you out of the core of the message? I think there was a famous lecture that Tom gave, uh, Tom, listen to me, (laughs) Uh, Professor Shippey or whatever his official title is, um, gave that I listened to like over and over again. It was a really... Great analysis of that that question of like, okay, well here we have the first three Lord of the Ring movies. They had to do a lot of script changes and character changes to overlay things to make it work for a movie. And so we use that sort of test throughout the Rings of Power to see like, rather than just go, oh, I hated this or oh, that was really good. Like, no, let's actually rationalize this and use a little bit of a framework here and and and, um, and apply some analysis as opposed to just emotional reaction. Um, so when if you think of season one of Wheel of Time, end result, do you feel that Amazon kept the core or did the changes that they had to do for television bend it and shape it so that it were further, we're deviating further away from... Uh, the changes I thought
3: that they did make, I thought, were, were by and large absolutely understandable. Um, you know, okay. there, there, were, there were some where I was like, that's, that's not, I would have solved that problem. But, but I absolutely recognize the problem that you're solving, right? You know, that, that, that you, right. you recognize, okay. yeah. oh, this is the problem, we've got to solve it. They chose to do it one way. I think that I would have gone another way. But I get, in, I get entirely what the problem is, and yours is a solution, right? So, fine. Um, yeah, there, there wasn't anything that I, that, that kicked me out in that res- that way. Uh, it really, it felt a lot like the Peter Jackson Lord of the Rings, right? You know, I mean, yeah, is like they cut Tom Bombadil. Yeah. So would I, right. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, in, in terms of what Tolkien's doing is Tom Bombadil important. Oh my God. Yes. Tom Bombadil is absolutely essential, but it's the first cut. Like, but I'm, it's first right. cut I'm making, you know.
1: And Council of Elrond, right? Like, let's bring that down, right. you know. Right. I mean, you know, and the second cut I'm making uh, is,
3: is 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 probably the most important thing in the books in Lord of the Rings to me. Uh, like, the most important thing in those books really is uh, is is probably the Scouring of Shire. Cut number two. Like, yeah, sucks, but that's what we got to do to like kind of make this work as a film so so yeah i you know i thought that that this was absolutely the kind of equivalent of that in terms of yeah we're gonna have to cut this we're gonna have to bring these things together we're gonna have to add this subplot to establish these things that you know we slow burned in in the books and we can't slow burn it right and we you know we got to do this great i I didn't have any problem with any of that I, i was i was really uh really pleased with all that uh you know when i've you know, about the only thing that I've, I was like, oh, dang it is, uh, is, is the same thing I'm always mad with in almost any of these films or TV shows, or whatever, uh, which is the military stuff. Right. And right. that's like, I'm I'm a medieval military historian. Like, of course I'm going to be pissed if you got the trebuchet pointed the wrong way. <laughs> um,
4: <laughs> like, you know,
3: or if, you know, if you're like, you know, game of Thrones, like, you know, that's, did you, did you just literally throw away your light infantry? Did, did you just do that? Like, what? Do you, <laughs> <is there anything? laughs> like, you know, I get that you want drama. I can give you drama, damn it. Like, and do it correctly. <laughs> right. Come on. So, so yeah, there's, there's that kind of stuff, you know, where you're like, that's not at all, right? And why did you do that? But I'm also like, that's Hollywood. I mean, that's Hollywood, baby. That's how they always are. They don't get it
1: right. Interestingly... When I was, you know, trying to um, uh, watch that first season, when I really started to get strong feels and like go, oh, wow, I'm really starting to invest in these characters, was um, apparently a whole cloth created subplot about the death of the the warder yeah. and the Aes Sedai and that relationship. Yeah. And that blew me away. I was like, whoa, this is new. I have not seen this before. And that was, John told, educated me, was like, that is all show creation yeah. as opposed to... And it's
3: brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. And, and again, that's the sort of thing where, you know, the the connection between the Aes Sedai and the warders is is slow burned in the books. Um, you, you kind of okay. get pieces of it you know, and you, and you come to a full understanding of it and, and yeah, they're like, no, man, we, you need to understand this. Let's create a subplot that does that. And God, it's, it's good. It's so good. Uh, yeah, it's probably my favorite episode of the entire series. Um,
1: it does stuff with gender and grief and, and ritual. It was just beautiful.
3: Yeah. Like if, if there was one sort of piece of the whole thing, and I don't, I don't know who it was in the writer's room, who kind of came up with that, but, like, that would have been the thing that I'd just be like, just like, just this is amazing, like, <laughs> like nailed it. Love it, you know? Um, yeah. And, and again, I'm just, I'm not a purist kind of or whatever that, that, you know, yeah. well, that's not in the books, so it doesn't belong. Like, like, you know, take a hike, you know, like, this is, it's, it's what it needs to be. I mean, I say it as a purist, and then I am like, you know the trebuchet should face the right way. I mean, I guess I'm I'm a purist about some
1: things. Uh, well, that's, that's not okay. a real time. Well, again, that's, that's not a real time error. That, outside of outside of pointing the the weapon in the right direction to <laughs> do its job, um, that's really where I like to bring in this whole sort of shippy test yeah. thing, which is like, okay, I can have an emotional reaction to this. I can like it or dislike yeah. it, um, but I can understand that the showrunner has a studio on their back who has finances on their back where they have production schedules, actor schedules. We had COVID throwing a huge uh, wrench into the works for a whole lot of productions. And so being able to sort of analyze that a little bit more carefully as opposed to just going, well, you know, I feel this way or right. I feel that way. Oh, your feelings are great. You know, those are your feelings. But let's let's think about it. Let's step it back a little bit and and think about what are the practical implications that they were dealing with to solve, as you say, these different problems?
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. So before we let you go, Michael, yeah. what's next for you after, after completing this monumental work?
3: What's next? For me? So this month, uh, we're recording this here in, uh, early to mid November.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, this month I've got a book due on the battle of Agincourt. Again, I'm a medieval military historian kind of like a trade, and, um, I had a book come out in July on the Battle of Crécy. Did very well. Is doing very well. And this is kind of a follow-up to it. So it's a popular account of uh, you know for anybody of uh, what you know what what happened at Agincourt like, and what I think really happened, as opposed to you know these are the stories of Agincourt. This is the myth of I'm Like, mm, no, sorry. Here's here's what I think happened, and here's why. I'm always very invested in in uh, I don't want to I don't want to lecture on the end result of my work. I want, I want to bring people into how I got there, into the journey of it. Show your like, work, did,
1: Sh- do, do the med- Show yeah. my work, yeah. Yeah,
3: yeah, is yeah. completely transparent. Like, and, and look, if I get something wrong, like, there's my work. Like, show me, show me where it was wrong. Um, Cause I don't, I don't, as I always say, I don't wanna be right. I wanna get it right. So-
4: mm, uh, I like that so distinction. That, that,
3: yeah, that's so that, uh, I mean, what we should all be after. I'm not sure we all are, but you know.
1: No, there's a, a strong desire for humanity to, for a human being to be in the right, to avoid being wrong, right? Like, that's right. A, it's a very, and it leads to
3: all kinds of problems. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I got the, uh, the Battle of Agincourt book comes out uh, next year. You know, I mean, I got to finish it in a week or two weeks, whatever. Not done yet, but it's getting there if my editor's listening. Uh, and then a couple months after that, I've, I'm going to be turning in a book on uh, the Battles of Thermopylae. So that's looking at uh, you know, the most famous battle, 480 uh, uh, BC, the, the Spartans 300, etc. There are way more than 300 Spartans there. <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> and that is, that is a mythology that certainly has taken root in uh, certain parts of our American culture.
3: Oh, God, yes. So I, so I go through that, my, myself and my, my co-author, uh, Michael would go through that. Um, like here's, here's the reality, like on the ground, right. You know, reconstructing that from the ground up. And, uh, and, but it's really a biography of place. So called the, the book's called the killing ground. So we do the battle of Thermopylae 480. Well, that's like the second of, we forget what our count is of the number of battles that happened there. Like there's a world war two, like Nazi tank battle that happens at Thermopylae. And so, you know, just saying like, look, here's this ground, you know, as we say, this, this may be the bloodiest ground on the planet, wow. given the number of battles that have happened over over time, you know, why do they keep happening here? And, you know, what can we sort of glean from that about, uh, you know, military history, even uh, different, different succeeding generations of technologies and personnel fighting on the same ground, how do they change it? So got that book to do. And then after that, so that that's due yeah. in January. Um, uh, after that, I've got a break. Okay. So I've been, I've been putting out like three, four books a year
2: and, uh, man. That is a piece. Um, that is a piece to be tired. reckoned with. You are the opposite of Tolkien, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: Tolkien was writing like crazy. Let it out. Uh,
2: right, right. Yeah. Holding it all back. Well, I'm glad that you're so, able uh, to send it to your editor.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Well, my editor will be glad
3: too. Um so yeah the next book they'll come out the next book that'll come out will actually be uh, a novel be the third book of the Seaborn series that comes out uh that's fantasy. Uh I think that comes out in the spring so but uh yeah, stop, I'm I'm doing stuff. You are. I'm doing stuff.
2: There's plenty to, to read from you no matter what you're looking for if you're looking for medieval uh studies if you're looking for Wheel of Time, if commentary, if you're looking for fantasy, uh it sounds like yeah. People can find uh, your work on your website, which we'll drop in the uh, the description of the podcast. Uh, Appreciate as well that. as you know, if you Google if you Google Michael Livingston, you will find him. He's there. So uh, I like your uh, yeah,
1: Twitter handle at Medieval Guy.
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Medieval Guy. Uh, yeah. Medieval Guy. Yeah, my students. You know, of course, you know my Well, my cadets, right? Uh, uh, they find it. They find it so like, wow, you could, you're Googleable. <laughs> <laughs>
4: not really the accomplishment
3: you think it is, guys, but yeah, you can Google me and find all kinds of stuff, yeah.
2: Very cool. Well, thank you very much, Michael. Uh, This is Dr. Michael Livingston of The Citadel, author of Origins of the Wheel of Time, The Legends and Mythologies that Inspired Robert Jordan. And uh, thank you so much for your time, and we hope to talk to you again soon.
1: Well, John, that was a really cool interview. Uh, I listened to it. I re-listened to it myself. Over the weekend before this, and I I forgot how I don't know just cool and inspiring. Uh, He's in cycle, really. He's so great, yeah. and it's so great to talk to. Him. I'm really excited. I hope we can talk to him again. We've got to reach out to yeah. him, and uh, maybe we'll we'll get him on for some uh, maybe season two recap talk, discussion yeah. and stuff.
2: We'll Would see. love that.
1: Yeah, be very fun. So we should probably talk about what's going on for the rest of the month. Um, due to the magic of podcasting, where are we when this comes out? <laughs> we're at the Boy, end of-
2: we are going to be at the end of August. So right. Ahsoka will have already happened a little bit. Uh, Foundation will be getting towards the end of the season, and we'll be right there with you with weekly coverage on both of those, as well as The Wheel of Time. We've got um, Properly Howard film reviews in yes. full swing that will have a few episodes out by then, including White Men Can't Jump, uh, Dune Part One, which we were both on, and it uh, soon, I think there will be RoboCop. If I'm placing this publishing <laughs> <Right>. correctly, <laughs> exactly.
1: The White Man Can't Jump episode just came out, and I have to say, it was a perfect way to start my Monday. Uh, when it when it came out on August 14th, just pop culture nonsense. Steve and Anthony are just funny together. Uh, I think the first 10, 15 minutes, they didn't even talk about White Man Can't Jump. They got into a whole. It's just fun. Segue of yeah. uh, movie stars, you know, uh, uh, singers who transitioned to movie stars. And uh, that was a really fun conversation. And then nice. I, I haven't even seen, I can't even remember. I don't even remember if I saw all of Whiteman Kench jump the original film, but they're covering oh, I, the 2023 heard of it. <laughs> remake. And I haven't even seen that. I'm not going to bother to see it, but just listening to them talk about film and remakes and what makes a good fi- you know, a good remake, a remake and all of that kind of stuff. It was just really super enjoyable. So, you know, don't feel like you've got to uh, know the films that they're talking about. Um, it's, it's a hoot. It's a, I a have lot, a review right.
2: here on iTunes fresh Already. off the presses Mm-hmm. Uh, actually it's from february so <laughs> it's, okay. it's a little dated but <laughs> it says i discovered this show through other shows blah 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 uh at first i was scrolling through to listen to reviews about the movies i've seen but now i find myself listening to all the episodes you don't there have you to go. have seen the movies to enjoy the host takes great show keep it coming so yeah uh, the people have spoken yeah, it's, it's just a great time. We have one other affiliate, though, and that is Alicia. She just wrapped up her coverage of Silo, although I guess just might be a little bit yeah, inaccurate little now that <laughs> now that we are uh, at the end of August. But she is in full swing with Dune. You may have seen on our higher host feed. If you're on there, you may have seen her uh, preview podcast. We did a cross promo and she is going through the movies She's going through the books a little bit and she's going through the video games. So, so yeah, Dune is uh, something that has always been an enigma to me and I'm looking forward to her walking me through it because I really need someone to.
1: I finally just caught up on the preview uh, coverage podcast that Alicia and Luke put out. They went deep on who Frank Herbert was talking about the wider context uh, of Dune, talking about their coverage plans for all the things so I, I think, you, you know, you could listen to that one podcast and get a sense of what, what they're going to cover. And there's nothing really spoiled in that one.
2: I couldn't uh, believe when I found out that Frank Herbert was actually Isaac Asimov with a mustache.
1: <laughs> <laughs> with a big nose and, and glasses yeah. <laughs> and a, a, a wig with little sort of red tufts of hair on sticking out on either side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they're going to be covering all kinds of interesting stuff. They're going to be just be talking about the culture of Dune because it's such a seminal work and it, it informs so much other science fiction and fantasy. Again, it you know it was published in 1965 and it really set the stage for a lot of other uh, material. And uh, so they're going to be covering uh, a documentary about a Dune film that never got made. They're going to be talking about the various video games that have been produced. They're going to be talking about the sci-fi channel. I think it was a 10 episode adaptation. Hmm. Um, They're going to be talking. So it's not just about the books. It's not just a book club thing. She does have in plans in works uh, a book club on Dune just itself, which will be kind of a companion to her wool shift dust book club, which is running right now. And that's uh, happening on patreoncom slash We'll shift dust. And that's like a pay per episode mm-hmm. uh, book club thing. And we've got a special channel set up for her on our discord as well. So for all of that kind of conversation. Um, so yeah, this, the, the whole idea of her covering this Dune, her and Luke covering all this Dune material is sort of in preparation for part two of the Villeneuve, the Villeneuve uh, film, which is going to be coming. And apparently he, he's trying to go for a trilogy. So oh, cool. hopefully he'll get Green on the third. Um and I don't know so, if anyone's getting
2: greenlit right now, so yeah, we'll see. It's uh, a uh, tough one.
1: So anyway, yeah, check check out uh Wolf Shift Dust.
2: Hey, maybe um, the writer's strike will resolve before this uh <laughs> that would be fabulous. before this b- airs. If yeah. it did, then you can laugh with me. Gosh, you know.
1: Um or head over to our, our website, lorehounds.com, and you can find all of her episodes there and of course jump on the Discord because we've got channels set up just for Alicia and for everything that she's working on
2: so yep yep we've always got more coming if you're confused about why you only see Wheel of Time on your feed that's because you're on the Wheel of Time feed and we do have a Firehose feed where you can get all of our stuff Uh, of course you will have to go to Alicia's feed for her stuff for Maester Anthony's feed uh, his stuff you can find all three of those feeds in the show notes if you're on the Wheel of Time feed so I will link the Firehose feed on the Wheel of Time feed if you're on the Firehose feed you don't need a link to it Congratulations you're here. Yeah,
1: <laughs> lots going on.
2: A lot, a yeah. lot going on. A lot yeah. going on, but we're here,
1: and a lot going on because it's being made possible by our Patreon subscribers. So we always nice like to segue.
2: Thank I'm you proud very of you. much.
1: Do you think we're <laughs> are approaching some sort of professionalism? I don't what, know. What a
2: life! What a life!
1: <laughs> we uh, like to give a shout out to our top tier lore master patrons every episode. Samartian, Cyrus, Mark H., Michael G., Michelle E., David W., Brian P., Nick W., SC, Peter O.H., Patina W., Adam S., Nancy M., Lavinia T., Duve 71 Brian8063, Frederick H., Sarah L., Garrett C., Eric F., Matthew M., Sarah M., DJ Miwa, Andrew, Andra B., Kwang Yu, Laura G., Deadeye, Jedi, Bob, and Nathan T., thank you guys all so much for sticking with us for this long and for being such, you know, uh, just great. You guys give us such great vibes. You keep our energy up when we're sort of staring into the abyss of trying to schedule podcasts and edit and record. Mm -hmm, And mm -hmm. when our spouses look at us cross-eyed, what do you mean you're recording again tonight? You know, (laughs) um, it's for you guys and for all our patrons and all of our listeners, be it public or you know, patron subscribers. Um, so, but uh, our, our lore masters really do uh, help us shore up the finances and, and keep the lights on over here at Lorehound lore Central.
2: Absolutely. All right. Well, thanks for being here, and we will see you for episode one. The Lorehounds Podcast is produced and published by The Lorehounds. You can send questions, feedback, and voicemails at thelorehounds.com slash contact. Get early and ad-free access to all our episodes at patreon.com slash thelorehounds. Any opinions stated are ours personally and do not reflect the opinion of or belong to any employers or other entities.
0: A new Star Wars journey begins in the place all good journeys begin. At, well, the beginning. This Star Wars Day, I'm excited to introduce the new Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast, where we will piece together the complete story of that galaxy far, far away, in timeline order, from the dawn of the Jedi through the great unknown following the sequel trilogy. This is a podcast for both Star Wars superfans and complete newbies. Listen to the short intro episode now to hear how it works and what to expect over the coming weeks as we set the stage for the new television series The Acolyte which we will be covering with weekly breakdowns. Subscribe to the Star Wars Canon Timeline podcast wherever you listen to take part in one of the most epic and expansive stories ever told, following all the twists and turns from start to finish. May the 4th be with you all, all month and beyond.